weather is the international best-selling author of Rich Dad Poor Dad or the co-founder of Match.com or the host of the MSNBC show Your Business they all have one thing in common they are some of the many guests that want you to reach the finish line your host is Callan Diggs welcome All right, so we are talking with uh, Chris Gronkowski, um, starting fullback for three NFL teams, uh, Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis Colts, and the Denver Broncos. You know, kind of going back in time uh, to, uh, you know, see what was his life like. And I definitely want to go into kind of high school because you know, Chris, when people go into high school, you know, they face challenges like, you know, maybe not being popular, which did seem like uh, that's the case with you, being well-received, but things also like drugs, also like crime, uh, also a lot of the challenges that high school students face that can cause them to sometimes drop out, you know, or, or, or be truant, uh, or, or just have, or just really have problems. Uh, that can sometimes uh, affect their grades from being uh, from being uh, recruited or, or or getting into some of these uh, very prestigious universities. You know, were were there any significant challenges that you faced during high school, or do you think your parents did a pretty good job in sheltering you from uh, being affected by them? I think our, our parents did a did a great job with uh, making sure that we stayed on the right path. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom's job was basically to make sure we did our, our schoolwork, had everything done before, you know, we went out to, to games and even, you know, practice had to get our homework done before we did. And then, uh, you know, my dad was there to, to let us know that, you know, if we did get off that path, there was going to be punishment for it. So mm, he had the yeah. whole thing, you know, if you want your fingers broken, come home and, uh, and smell like, you know, like cigarettes, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, we had, he put that fear in us to, to make sure that we stayed on the right path and, I mean, it, it worked. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's you're very fortunate, you know, because uh, you know there's not a lot of people uh, who are able to have a very supportive, nurturing family. To have a father who's kind of kind of ironclad, to really, you know, maybe tough love, but he really wants his children to succeed. And um, and for me, you know, I didn't really have that in my life. Uh, but you know, my, my grandfather died when I was, uh, in the middle of, you know, being a teenager, but, uh, at the same time I turned out, I think I turned out pretty well and it's really, uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of the other side of the coin of kind of, unfortunately having to be exposed to those experiences that affect that typically negatively affect people, but kind of extracting insights to help you become a better person. But, you know, as, as opposed to contrast, as you was, you know, you was very fortunate to have great parents. You know, uh, I always, you know, I, I know you're grateful. You know, I always tell young people nowadays to be grateful for their parents. You know, a lot of times they don't like that tough love approach. But, you know, it's sort of like it's the concept of unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. You know, you're, you know, the reason why your your father was, you know, you know, gave you that tough love was kind of hard on you because he'd been through what you, you know, you know, where you were going, you know. So, you know, it was in his best interest not to see his son make the same mistakes that he made. 
And, uh, you know, I encourage a lot of young people to uh, listen to their parents uh, because, you know, once once they get older and, and more mature, you know, they'll be very grateful in the end. Uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, that, that's that's definitely uh, great to hear. You know, you you said as you were going to college, you know, you had some options. You know, you know, obviously you graduated from University of Arizona, but I would imagine, you know, you was playing high school football, you was getting good, you start you start catching heads, and um, you know, what was that process like? Because uh, you was born in Buffalo, New York. And then going from University of Arizona, really that's two different cultures, you know, kind of the Southwest compared to the Northeast. And then you say you had a scholarship at the University of Maryland. So, you know, what was that like kind of, you know, you know, uh, you know as far as making a decision of which university to choose? It was it was kind of crazy. Uh, it's kind of kind of a crazy story. So I'll, I'll tell you how it all happened. Uh, it's actually so I had my older brother, Dan, who was, uh, you know, he was this beast in high school. Mm-hmm. He had some offers and he went off to the University of Maryland to, to play mm-hmm. and had a full scholarship. Uh, you know, big guy, six, six and a half, mm-hmm. 240 pounds coming out of high school. So you know, next I was up and I really wasn't getting recruited. So I was actually heading to the University of Pennsylvania and I got into the Wharton Business School. So it was a pretty big deal in Ivy League and uh, and I was all set to go there. But what ended up happening was a couple of guys that were at the university of Maryland didn't make the team or they didn't make it because their grades were so bad coming out of high school. So they had a bunch of scholarships open up. Mm. So at that time it was the end of summer. And, you know, I, I thought I was heading to the university of Pennsylvania and uh, I get this call and say, Hey, you know, we'll put you on full scholarship. We loved your brother. He works as, you know, he works hard and uh, you know, we think you, you, you'll have some potential too and, and you'll grow, you'll get better, you'll get stronger. And uh, we want to want to give you a full scholarship as well. So, at that point, I had to make a decision. It pretty much came down to you know, go to University of Penn, come out of there with absolutely no scholarship at all. You know, owe six figures in debt, you know, student loans that I would have had to get, or you know, I could go take this Division One scholarship to a good school that had a good business program as well, and get it all paid for and come out, you know, with a good degree and and, and no debt at all. So I also wanted to play at the top level, and I wanted to play with my brother as well. So I took that full scholarship offer. And uh, about a year, year and a half into it, it just it just wasn't working out for me. The coach, I never once spoke to the head coach until a year and a half in. And wow. he really wasn't, uh, he wasn't the greatest coach to play for. He's one of those guys that you walk down the hallway and you say hi to him and he just looked the other way. So, oh my, it was, uh, it was a pretty tough, pretty tough situation for me. And, uh, and, this, and, point, and this was UPenn? This was at the University of Maryland. At University of Maryland, okay. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's very hard to to kind of understand those type of people. I like how do they you know, get at such a high level and they're not personable. They have no social they're not they're not personable with other people. I just don't understand that. And you know, with a coach, you know, you know, it, typically I have found the better the coach has a bond with the the players, oftentimes the better they do. You know, better they, uh, you know, they better tend to succeed. But if the players don't respect the coach, then you know it's it's going to be very hard to, uh, you know, uh, trying to have the players be recept- receptive to what the coach is trying to suggest to them. So uh, really, the the whole team, uh, the whole player and coach relationship, 
is very important. And to have somebody like that, wow, you know, you say hello, you're trying to start a conversation with him, and he just looked the other way. So I, I guess what were the assistant coaches ultimately like doing his job and he was just sitting in the background? Yeah, it came down to the point where I don't even think he was going on recruiting visits anymore. Mm. So uh, the other the other coaches had to take over that for him. But uh, it was just tough love. It was the old school way of coaching. And it was just, you know, you run across coaches like that every once in a while. Wow. Yeah. The, <laughs> I've heard of that in the workplace, but I never thought it was like that in sports. So as, I'm glad I'm happy that uh, you shared that. Now, when you was in when you was playing for the University of Arizona, uh, I would presume he's playing fullback, correct? Yes. Um, you know, typically you pay college football, especially, you know, D1. You know, you become popular in college. You know, you, you pressure start, you know, getting all the groupies, you know, all the <laughs> – I'm not <laughs> sure if it's exactly like that, but you're going to tell me if it is or not. But, you know, I, I definitely know when I was playing college basketball, you know, for Penn State, you know, it was like that. Uh, you know, it's like – the people who were playing the basketball team, football team, they were the most, like, like among the most popular people, you know, in college, you know. And it's, I mean, I wasn't as popular because I came off the bench, but you know, <laughs> if you was a starting shooting guard or if you was a starting quarterback, like, like you know, you know, they had they had they had all the women, you know, they had all the attention, they had oh, yeah. all the influence, the favor, you know, was was it like that for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little different. Uh... You know the starting quarterback versus you know the starting fullback, but uh, I, I definitely saw. I was also at two pretty big basketball schools as well, so mm. the basketball players they definitely got the love, man. And I think it was also because they didn't wear a helmet either, so you know everyone knew what they looked like, everyone knew who they were. So and, and plus they're so tall and so big uh, walking around campus, you know they were definitely the big dogs on campus for sure. But yeah, of course, you, every, everyone gets some love if you're if you're winning. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. How was you able to balance school with sports? Because sometimes that could be challenging. Sometimes, you know, students that get so passionate with sports, they tend to ignore their academics. And unfortunately, you know, that affects their grades. And as a result, when their grades are affected, they can't play anymore. You know, you know how was you able to maintain that balance? Yeah, that's, that's a great point, and that actually takes a lot of good players out of the league that you don't even realize, and I think that's actually one of the reasons, you know, I wasn't the most talented, but I was able to get through it, and I was able to get to the next level because, you know, I, you know, I made it through the grades. There's a lot more talented players that just didn't make it because they couldn't get through the system or, you know, they couldn't learn a playbook or something like that, but for me, it was just all about, you know, how I was raised, how it was, you know, schoolwork was always first, and then it came sports, so... I was I was always used to the grind, getting my work done, and uh, you know nothing changed when I left school. You know I left home and went to school, and uh, at being an NCAA student, I mean people think it's all fun and games playing football in college, but it's it's a lot of hard work because a normal day is you know they'll put you in study hall in the morning, make sure you wake up, get your stuff, you know get your grades, get your paperwork done, stuff like that. You go right into mandatory eating, then you go right into either a lift or you go to classes, and after that you either you know. You go to a lift before before practice, or you go right to practice, and then you practice all day. And when you get home, you know, you're dead tired, and you got to go do you know schoolwork, and it is not easy. And it's 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 a grind. And every time someone asks me about it, I say, man, I I really don't know. I don't. I definitely can't go back and do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how I got through that because those are those are long days. Those are tough days, and you're taking a full 
know, a full day of class and you're taking, you know, going and working out and, and practicing the same day as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I definitely uh, can imagine. Wow. Let's, and from there, uh, I, I definitely uh, will be interested in uh, going into, you know, when you were kind of really making waves and, you know, people from NFL started to look at you. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about people second questioning, you know, going into uh, professional football because of injuries like head trauma specifically. You know, you show these examples of where, you know, NFL athletes, uh, they retire and like, you know, they have dementia, they have Alzheimer's, like, you know, they, have, they you know, unfortunately, they face a lot of, uh, you know, cognitive problems uh, if, uh, also a lot of uh, health problems to overall health just because uh, specifically of just getting hit so hard constantly um, was that something that worried you uh, before you know when you was get well, you know before you was considered taking it to professional level or or you know was that something that you weren't too concerned with oh man at the time it, it's you don't even think about it I mean you you think you're invincible you're on top of the world you're mm-hmm. the strongest guy ever you know, you have that mentality that you grew up with your whole life that, you know, you don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't stay down. You know, you're going to come back from anything. So at the time, you look at the older guys that, you know, are saying that they have all these health issues and all that. And you think they're just, you know, coming back trying to get money or something. But and once you get older and, and these things start happening to you and, and your body starts breaking down, you realize, you know, how much of a beating you really took back in the day mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's. It's it is it is true. I mean, it, every single hit, it's a collision, and it, it's going to do something to your body. It's going to wear you down a little bit, and the injuries that you do get, they just they just complicate over time. So, mm-hmm. the thing is, is that when you're young, I mean, you don't you don't think about that stuff, and mm-hmm. it doesn't even cross your mind until until you're older and, and it starts affecting you. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become our premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial-free one-hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. When you first got drafted, I think the first thing you went to was the Cowboys. Is that correct? Yeah, I was actually uh, so I went undrafted in uh, in 2010, and I signed with them uh, just moments after the draft ended. So oh, I was I actually see. undrafted free agent. Yeah, but nonetheless, you must have been thrilled, you know, your brothers, your your parents, um, and then you know you just you start you starting to really get into the public limelight. You know, you being on TV, you starting for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, what was that like? Because you're definitely you, you you you're definitely going on to a whole new level. You know, as far as playing college, not getting paid, to playing for the NFL, making millions of dollars, and I'm quite sure that attracts a lot of people that you don't you don't want to attract. You know, people who who say, "Oh, remember me from you know back in the day? We were cool. You know, hey, let's hang out. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let, let, oh yeah. Let's talk about that experience. What was that like for the first year? Hey, it was, it was a big change. I mean, especially if you play for the Cowboys, I mean, it's up there. So a uh, ton of ton of media attention. You know, everyone knows you, you know, you're playing for them. So 
Uh, definitely a change for sure. You got people coming out of the woodwork. You got everyone wants to come to games. And the problem was is that what also everyone thinks is that you get free tickets to games, which is not the case at all. So you got good friends, you got family, you got, you know, cousins you haven't talked to in forever and they all want to come to a game. But when it comes down to it and you're on a rookie salary and, and tickets are, you know, $150 a pop, you know, it's just something that you have to say no to and, and people just don't understand why. But, uh, I mean, it just starts – it starts putting a hole in your pocket. And uh, and for me, being undrafted uh, and anyone that's on, on a minimum salary, these guys, you know, when I was playing, the minimum at that time was 330. So anyone that, you know, was drafted after, you know, the fourth round, they would get their signing bonus, but they would only be making 330 a year on their actual salary. So after that signing bonus was gone, it was 330 flat for every single rookie. So. And, and, at the and, end that's, of the day, and that's three hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year gross, right? That's not net. Yeah, yeah. So after the day, I mean, I, I would have you know, after you know, living expenses and and paying everything, it wasn't even two hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. So yeah, I was looking at me like, you know, this guy is killing it. He's got millions. You know, let me get tickets. You know, let me get you know, let me go hang out with this guy. He'll pay for everything, kind of deal. And yeah. it, it, it <laughs> It's so funny when people have that kind of mentality, and you know, it, it's just uh, it's kind of sad too because you know it's like the people who would have never came into your life, you know, you know, pro- like the people who have never re-entered your life only did so because you you know you became an NFL player, you know. So it, it's, it's kind of almost it's like sadistic. It's kind of almost that very kind of selfish way to to really rekindle a relationship with somebody. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, you know, as an NFL player, uh, you know, you was definitely used to it. What was it like? Cause, cause I, I hear these things, but you're actually the first NFL player that, I mean, I, I've had, I, I've had NBA player on before, had professional boxer on before, but never had an NFL player. So, um, is it true? Is it like, you know, so you go to NFL and it like they want you to live in a certain area, I guess, to, to be protected from the public. They want you to like buy a certain house in a certain area and they kind of control your life. Is that true? Uh, I mean, they'll recommend in certain areas, but um, I mean, no, not at all. Especially the older guys, they'll they're pretty much on their own to do whatever they want. So, OK, uh, you want to personally, I always wanted to be as close as I could to, to the practice field because, you know, you're there 12 hours a day and for me to waste time driving there just wasn't worth it mm-hmm. trying to get that sleep but yeah i feel like a lot of players chris don't have a good financial counsel because you know when they get out of the nfl unfortunately it's not just nfl it's nba too is they're broke or you know they have about three two years of savings or three years to live off of and they're broke you know did you have assistance during that? You know, uh, like you know, because I'm quite sure at you being such a prolific level, maybe maybe you have all these financial advisors coming out the woodworks calling you and saying, "Hey, they'll manage your money." You know, what was that like? Because that's very important, especially as you go into retirement to sustain yourself. Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a pretty big topic that a lot of the teams would actually sit down and have meetings with you because you know, you're coming out of college, you've never made money in your life for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you had a job when you were younger and you know, making a couple of dollars an hour or whatever, but this was the first time you had some serious money coming in. So people were coming out of the woodworks and you hear all the time, some financial advisor took advantage of this player mm-hmm. or even high end players for millions of dollars, you know, got taken by financial advisors. So we always had meetings about it. Uh, the NFL does a good job of doing background checks on, on guys that do try to get in there uh, as financial advisors, stuff like that. 
But uh, it was it was ultimately up to you. And you see guys all the time that you know get drafted in the fourth round or whatever. They take their signing bonus and they go buy a house or they buy a car. And you're like, man, you know, you just spent 100k on a car, and you might not even be here for more than a year because the turnover is crazy. I mean, and, and you go and buy a house, and these guys have. A, then they get traded. They go and buy another house, and they're stuck on two houses at when they're on a third team, and it's just uh, it, it's tough to, to tough to watch because guys just had never had that money before, so they don't know what to do with it. You know, I was always raised, you know, to to learn, you know, the value of a dollar, and uh, and worked hard, and and grew up, you know, delivering fitness equipment for my dad, three hundred pound treadmills up little stairways. And uh, really just learned the value of a dollar early on and, and how to save it. And uh, and so for me, it wasn't a problem. And uh, it was just tough for me to watch guys that, that did struggle with it, and did spend all their money. And, and you know, two, three years later, they were out of the league and you know, their whole life was evolved around making money in the NFL. And, and now they don't have a job and, and they're struggling and you see them around and it's tough. Tough it, situation it, for sure. It sure is. You know, um, Vin Baker. Uh, played for the Seattle Supersonics, kind of one of the NBA icons uh, in the 90s. And, you know, uh, it was so sad, you know, because just as as you're speaking of, he was one of those examples. You know, he spread himself thin, you know, you know, he kind of, you know, he spread himself thin and gave his money to everybody. You know, he, you know, gave his money to uh, financial advisors who didn't have his best interests. And now he's the manager of Starbucks. You know, it's just it's sad. Yeah. You know, it's like you go from such a high level and then you just, you know, you end up at the bottom again, you know. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, – and that's what I like about you because when your NFL career ended, you didn't stop there. You said, you know, you, 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 you got entrepreneurial and said, you know, find other ways to sustain yourself. And you have two companies. You know, one, you have everything decorated. And the other one you have, uh, which is called Ice Shaker. You know, which which business came first, and what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so my whole game plan was, you know, I was playing, and I came out, I was undrafted, and I knew I had, a, I was doing, you know, I had a decent career. I got pension, you know, I got four credited seasons in, and uh, I just knew that it wasn't going to last forever for me. I wasn't a superstar, so even while I was playing, I was thinking of ways, you know, what I was going to do after football and. My original thought was I had this accounting degree and I realized that all the players in the NFL, they never filed taxes before. So they never, you know, they never made good money. They never had to file. And uh, when I went to get my taxes done, you know, these CPAs were charging two to $3,000 because you have to file in every single state that you play in. So for me that year, it was like 10 different states that we played games in. So they had to file return in every single state. So they really jack up the price on you. So I saw that as uh, as an opportunity for me to go in and, and talk to other players and, and actually become, you know, this this tax expert for them and, and file their taxes for them. And you know, I did it myself and I knew all the deductions and I could help them out. So that was my initial plan was to go into that. But my wife ended up after our what my third my third team, you know, three different cities, she finally uh, said that she was done trying to look for new jobs and decided that she wanted to find a way to work from home. So this journey started and she started hand painting wine glasses from the house and I come home from practice and I kind of shrugged it off and, and, you know, thought it was cool, kind of like a little habit for her or yeah. habit, habit for her and that, you know, it wouldn't really amount to anything. But uh, she put them online and they started selling. And at this point, she started selling enough that she couldn't keep up with it because they were taking 15, 20 minutes of glass. 
to hand paint them. So uh, she started looking at other ways to, to do it faster and kind of got into other other uh, machines that would help her, you know, cut vinyl kind of deal and put stickers on the cups and stuff like that. And it started really picking up. And at that same time, I got hurt when I was uh, with the Chargers. I was in camp with the Chargers my fourth season. And uh, I went back home and kind of looked into the whole business and, and the opportunity there and saw that there was this huge market for personalized gifts, and especially in the wedding industry. That was pretty much a limited industry, uh, unlimited industry of, you know, people that would spend pretty much anything to make their day perfect. So after looking into it, uh, we decided to invest a decent amount of money into industrial machines that we could really crank out these gifts that, that people were buying for, for their wedding events. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's everything decorated, correct? Yeah. So that's when everything decorated started. And, uh, we're now one of the biggest, one of the biggest gift shops online. And we have over, it's close to 20,000 five-star reviews online now. And mm-hmm. it's really taken off and grown and just spread by a lot by word of mouth as well. And you get, you get one wedding party to buy, you know, 10 to 20 gifts for all their friends and grooms and bridesmaids, stuff like that. And then, you know, they see our name on the box and they tell, you know, they go to the next wedding and, and do the same thing kind of deal and just refer us. So it's been, uh, it's been really successful for us and it's kind of just something we fell onto that I thought I'd never do. Yeah. And also, you know, the fact that, you know, you're connecting to the NFL, University of Arizona, you know, probably by you leveraging that network of the relationships you made in NFL as well as in college, that's probably have made it easier for you to uh, spread the word about your brand. Absolutely. That that really played into effect with uh, with our second company, actually, that I started about eight months ago now. And that, that came about because you know, I, I continued to stay active and I work out. Uh, I just checked my attendance yesterday, actually. I worked out every day last month. So I, th- I thought it was... That's pretty cool. I had to share that, but uh. no, that's cool. No, it is cool. It, it, it's really important, Chris, especially when you get older, because things start to decline. Like you know, metabolism, bone density, you know, and, and it's very important to try to keep yourself at a peak so you can uh, significantly mitigate uh, that uh, physical decline. So no, that that is great. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, I'm sure it's easier for you because you you know. You've been an athlete for you know significant uh, uh, time in your life, you know. But uh, it's definitely something I want to get into. Um, you know, you know, doing hiking more. So I'm out here in uh, Western Colorado, so uh, there's always lots of opportunities. Uh, always lots of opportunities to hike, uh, climb mountains, and uh, you know, I commend you on that. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's just something for me that I, I just I feel a lot better. I have more energy. I have more patience as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I and I go into the day and, and I feel good starting my day. So that's that's why I had I like to head there in the morning and uh, and really get my day started. But that's how the, my second company came about. So I was in I was in the gym and, you know, it's 100 degrees in Texas in the summer. And I just wanted a bottle that I could bring to the gym. I could have you know, my pre-workout or whatever I'm drinking before go to the gym and then use it as a water bottle and then, you know, leave the gym and mix up a protein shake and head to work. So. I was at the gym, and by the time I got there in the 100-degree heat, there was, you know, condensation all over my car's cup holders. There's all those sweat rings on the floor at the gym, and my bottle was warm. And so I went home that day, and I was like, man, there's got to be some kind of insulated shake, you know, bottle that I could shake that I could bring to the gym with me. So I, so short story, you know, I went, looked everywhere. I couldn't find it, and I decided that I was going to make the best shaker bottle that I could, you know, that was insulated, 
I went and made it of kitchen grade stainless steel so it doesn't absorb odor like the plastic bottles do. Mm-hmm. My whole goal was to actually make a product that I wanted for myself. Yeah. So if if I understand you correctly, you can put ice in the ice shaker and it will sustain for over 30 hours? Yep. Yeah. So I just did a time lapse of it. I actually did it. Next to a plastic bottle, you know, same size. Actually, the plastic bottle was bigger than it. I filled the plastic bottle with more ice and than I could fit in the ice shaker and uh, put them next to each other. So we'll actually hold ice. It lasted for about 33 hours with the top off. So with the top on, you know, significantly longer. But it lasted about six times longer than the plastic bottle did. Wow. That's impressive. And, 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 and there's nothing like this on the market? So there's other there's other uh, kitchen grade stainless steel bottles like it, but there's nothing that's easy to open and fill and clean. So oh. there's other ones that have these little tiny tops on them that you know you could just put water in it and you can't get anything in there to clean it. The purpose of mine was you know to fill it with the you know, protein pre workout whatever you're gonna do, you'll fill it easily without spilling all over the place, and then be able to clean it really easy. And then the feature that I have that no, none of the other bottles do is that it has the pop top on it. So the classic pop top you see on all the shaker bottles that you know, you just pop the top off, take a sip, you pop the top back on, and, and you're good to go. You don't have to twist it on and off. So that's also uh, a huge feature that, that people love that there's, that's not out there anywhere else. Yeah. As we come to an end, if people want to follow you, get in contact with you, uh, learn more about your, your, your products, iShaker, or, or, or the other things you have at Everything Decorated, how can they do that? So you can either follow us online for, for Ice Shaker. We're online on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Ice Shaker Bottle. Uh, my personal is Chris Gronkowski on, on Twitter and on, uh, and on Instagram, so at Chris Gronkowski. And then uh, my, my personal email is chris at iceshaker.com. Got any questions? Uh, another cool part about our shaker is that we kind of combine the two companies, actually, mm-hmm. and we offer personalization on our bottle. So we've been able to do stuff like you know your favorite quote, your favorite logo, or your, your company logo, or just you know stuff to get you pumped up for the gym. We can engrave it right on the bottle. So that's also been something that's been really successful. Chris, thanks for being our guest. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs. If you haven't already, purchase the book, Reaching the Finish Line, at reachingthefinishline.com. Now is time for you to start reaching your finish line. So what are you waiting for? Start 